0: As it is our custom to focus on our confessional confession in the afternoon, we'll turn to the Heidelberg Catechism this afternoon because of Ascension Day we'll focus on Lord's Day nineteen. So the text this afternoon is the Word of God as we summarize and confess it in Lord's Day nineteen. Page five hundred and thirty three. Of your books of praise. Why is it added that is added to the Apostles' Creed? Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. After the sermon, we'll sing together hymn 40, all five stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder how the horrific stories or images of the persecution of Christians in the Middle East affects you. Or or perhaps, given that it's been so long, no longer hits the headlines, perhaps you've somewhat forgotten about it. For myself, in particular, the image of those men in orange jumpsuits on the beach with their captors standing over them is something that won't quickly vanish. We think of the persecution our brothers and sisters face around the world can fill us with great despair and pessimism. If we think of our own situation where Christianity is increasingly marginalized, even in the Western world, and we think of our ongoing fight against abortion, we'll have the March for Life this coming week, Lord willing. Or if you think of our struggles against the onslaught of People pushing for euthanasia or doctor assisted suicide. You might have a pessimistic view also of our own situation in the country in which we live. We're constantly bombarded with news of, of wars, of natural disasters and poverty as well. Just think of the, the fires in Fort Mac. The world is a broken place. And we think of the situation of our brothers and sisters in particular, we can despair. 60 countries in the world, Christians face persecution daily simply for confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Countries like North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Afghanistan, Mali, Syria, Christianity is either banned outright or placed under severe restrictions. We might be tempted to adopt a pessimistic view of the world in which we live, might be tempted to shut the doors, batten down the hatches, brace for the worst, retreat into our ghettos. But if we truly understand Ascension Day, if we truly understand what we confess in our Lord's Day this afternoon, we don't need to react in this way. This article of the Apostles' Creed, that Christ sits at the right hand of God, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, it teaches us that in the middle of our present circumstances, in the middle of desperate circumstances even, We turn our attention away from the headlines, away from our news feeds, away from what we see on TV. We lift our eyes from our own experiences in life, away from the Islamic states, away from post-Christian governments to the kingdom that is here, and the king who is the king of that kingdom a kingdom that continues to advance in this world. It turns our attention away from the Obamas and the Putins and the Trudeaus, away from the Trumps and the Clintons of this world and fixes our attention on the King of Kings who is seated on his throne today. Right now, as we speak, the King of Kings who reigns over all creation for the benefit of his church. You see, the victory as we saw this morning has already been won. Christ has gained the victory over sin and death. They've been defeated in the resurrection. And now in his ascension, he has taken up his rightful place in heaven. Then we don't ignore present difficulties or present struggles. We have to go on living in this world in which we've been placed. And there may be difficult times ahead. But we find comfort and perspective in knowing that Christ is seated on his throne that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth for the work of gathering, defending, and preserving his church. So this afternoon, we're going to focus on this theme. The enthroned Christ shares his victory with his church. We'll see that Christ does this as king, as head, and as judge. So the enthroned Christ shares his victory with the church, first of all, as king. Now, when we say that Christ ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, We are confessing that Christ took up his place, his rightful place as king. The rightful place of authority and honor. Christ became the king to which the whole Old Testament pointed forward. We sang Psalm 110 together. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That Lord is Jesus Christ. Or think of Isaiah's well-known prophecy. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with righteousness and justice from that time and forever. We sang those beautiful words from Psalm 72 as well. Christ is king and he's seated on his royal throne. The great son of David, to whom all of history pointed, of whom all the previous kings, even the very best ones like David as we saw this morning, even the very best ones were a mere foreshadowing. He took up his rightful place. He inherited his rightful crown, the seat of power. The very son of God who humbled himself, who took on the form of a servant, who submitted his body to the cross, has become king, has been exalted by his father to the highest place and given the name that is above every name and this way his exaltation was made complete this was the pinnacle of his glory seating a seat at the right hand of God the father that was a place of honor a place of glory it was only fitting for the one who had defeated sin and death who had put an end to the misery of this world who had opened the way for sinful man to approach his heavenly father a place of honor and glory a place of authority and power as well. By sitting down at God's right hand, our risen Lord confirmed what he said to the disciples before he left, before he ascended into heaven. He said to them after giving them the great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The apostle Paul wrote of that as well in in the chapter of Ephesians we read together. He put all things under his feet, verse 22. He put all things under his feet. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. The very one who had been subjected to the miscarriage of justice on the cross, judged and crucified by a representative of the world power, ascended into heaven and received power unimaginable, far beyond what Pilate himself could have imagined as he subjected the Son of God to the cross. Everything was placed under his feet. When Christ ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, everything was placed under his feet. Everything. That means there's not a power in this world, spiritual, physical, that is not subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. As the famous Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper put it, there is not a square inch of the entire creation over which Christ does not cry out, it is mine. That's the fruit of his ascension into heaven. That's the fruit of his seat of power at God's right hand. Do you understand how comprehensive this power is? How comprehensive Christ's lordship, his kingship is? There is not a single thing in this world that does not belong under the authority, under the power of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that change your perspective when you return your thoughts to the hardships that we suffer in this life, the hardships that may lie ahead, the hardships that our suffering brothers and sisters experience from day to day? Our Father has chosen to govern all things in this life through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. The King of heaven and earth is our Savior, is the incarnate Word who took up flesh, who was tempted as we are tempted, who suffered as we suffer, who defeated sin and death for our sake. And it was for our sake that he was given this position of power and authority as well. We read that together in Ephesians chapter 1 as well. In verse 22, he says there, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church or for the church. See, Christ is king of creation because he's king of his kingdom. Christ has been given this place of authority and power because he's the king of the church. He's at work here in the world for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of you, his members. And so the Apostle Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians that once Christ has destroyed all powers, once he has all power, once all knees have bowed to him, once all have submitted to his authority, he's going to hand that kingdom over to the Father and say, it is done. My work has been completed. That's what the authority he has been given is for. And so we confess for the church. We confess for the church here at Owen Sound as well, what we confess for each believer in Lord's Days 1 and 10, that all things in this life, whether good or evil, are there governed and directed for our ultimate benefit. Christ is conducting the affairs of this world for your benefit and for my benefit. Christ's goal in his rule of creation is for his church, for the gathering and defending and preserving of a people for himself. And we can see that as we look over history. We can see Christ's kingly work of advancing the kingdom step by step. Even in times of persecution and distress. Mid toil and tribulation, as we'll sing together later. When the first Christians experienced serious suffering at the hands of the Jews, and at the hands of the Romans, the kingdom grew and spread throughout the Roman Empire. In fact it was said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. What better proof of Christ's kingship do we need than this? The edicts and demands of hate-filled governments only serves to advance Christ's cause in this world. That's the reality. And we see it today too in those countries where the gospel is most under attack. Where Christians are most persecuted, that's where the kingdom advances the most strongly and the most clearly. Christ will gather his own. Christ will protect his church. And he will do so by gathering them in time, by controlling and directing the events on the world stage. And so even in the face of severe suffering, We can take comfort in seeing with eyes of faith what Stephen saw with his physical eyes. The Son of Man is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the King of kings. He is the King of this creation in which we live. But he's not just the King. He hasn't just gone on to take up his place at the right hand of God the Father and left us to endure the brokenness of life on our own. Because he sits there not only as heavenly king, but also as the head of his church. And as head of his church, Christ takes special care of you, his body. He promised as he ascended into heaven that he would not leave them alone. He wasn't going to leave those disciples to struggle to begin the church, to advance the church on their own. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That was a promise that Christ made to his disciples. It was a promise he made to the church. and It's a promise that remains the same today. We are not alone. Christ is with us. Not long after Ascension Day, we celebrate Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. And by his Spirit, Christ has given us a comforter, a counselor, while he himself readies a place for us. In eternal mansions, and through this Spirit we confess Christ rains down heavenly gifts, as we confess in question answer fifty one. But by His Holy Spirit He pours out heavenly gifts on us, His members. It's a beautiful scriptural image. We sang about it in Psalm seventy two as well. The King pouring out gifts on His people. Now, when I was in second year seminary, at the end of our second year, we went on a mission internship. I had the privilege of being in Papua New Guinea. And while I was there, it was a prolonged dry spell. They were waiting, praying fervently for rain. They depended on it for their survival. The gardens had to grow. And if the gardens didn't grow, then they would face serious famine. And after some tense weeks, suddenly one day God opened the floodgates of heaven and the sky simply thundered and shook and the rain poured down. And I'll never forget the mothers, rather than keeping the children inside because it was raining, they sent the kids out. And the kids were playing in that rain and they were looking up above and drinking in the heavenly gift. Christ does not cheap with his gifts. Christ pours out his gifts upon his people. We experience an overabundance of gifts through Christ and through his spirit our cup truly overflows. And do we then rejoice in these gifts? Like those kids who experience that outpouring above from above, are our faces held up in expectation for these gifts? Are they held up in thankfulness for these gifts as well? As we journey through life, as we go through dry deserts or deep valleys, Our experience as church today, as church members today, is not unlike that experienced by the Israelites as they went through the desert to the promised land. Then too, God graciously cared for his people, giving them manna, giving them quail, giving them water, providing their every daily needs by heavenly gifts. Will Christ not do the same for us today as we go through life? Will he not also open the floodgates of heaven when we look in expectation to him? Will he not ensure that this here is a living, healthy body if we open our hearts to his spirit? He's provided the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers from the beginning, whom he's strengthened by his spirit, who he used as instruments in establishing the church early on. And he's continued throughout time to gather, defend, and preserve his church, to guide and lead his church through fallible but faithful servants whom he equipped to build up the church, men and women. And here too you have elders and deacons in your local congregation who have been equipped to take care of the body to stimulate life in the body of Christ as well. He's not only concerned as king with protecting and preserving, but he's also concerned as head with making sure that this body is alive and active. But it's not just an outpouring on those who find themselves in positions of leadership. Christ pours out these gifts on each and every one of those who are members of his body. Every single member who belongs to the body of Christ receives this outpouring from above. The ascended Lord pouring out his spirit into your hearts. That spirit who produces the fruits of faith you know so well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the spirit reigns in our hearts, then we come to mirror Christ's outpouring of love to us. Then we outpour out our gifts as well. Then we pour out our love and mercy to the saints around us, to the communion in which we have been called to live as well. When we experience Christ's ascended gifts in this way, then we see that our community changes from a community of sin-filled people to a communion of grace-filled believers. This is the gift of our heavenly head. This is the fruit of Christ's ascension, a power beyond imagining, a power that goes beyond the working of God in creation itself, a power that transforms hearts and lives because it's a power from above. That's the gift of Christ's ascension the outpouring of the Spirit into your heart and mine. And then we, as members of Christ's body, as citizens of his kingdom, we're equipped to pray and to work for the establishing and the coming of Christ's kingdom. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to us as kingdom citizens to go about our daily activities, our daily routines in a different way. We have a different king, King Jesus, sitting on his throne And so as kings, citizens of that kingdom, we go about our lives in a different way. And Christ gives us the means to live in a different way as well. But it's not automatic. We need to open our hearts to receive the gift. Christ wants us to look up to him seated in heaven. He wants us to ask him for these gifts He wants us to open our hearts that the Spirit may dwell in and among us. He wants us to ask him in prayer for the strength to live as kingdom citizens, the strength to do your kingdom work, wherever that is. Christ not only gives gifts for the upbuilding of his body, he also gives gifts to protect his body. We confess that as well in the second part of that question and answer. Christ protects and defends us from our enemies, and he's able to do so as heavenly king with authority above all, and yet that kingdom is not yet here. We still experience the tension of living in this world. The kingdom has not yet fully come, so we're still subject to the attacks of the devil, the attacks of this world, the attacks of hostile governments, the attacks of our own sinful flesh, and that will continue until Christ returns. And if we were to stand alone, we would certainly fall. But by his spirit, Christ also strengthens us to stand strong in this world. He's the head who pours out gifts on his members. Sometimes he does break down the bonds. Sometimes he opens prison doors like Peter. Sometimes, too, we hear stories in the Middle East of incredible, miraculous deliverances. But other times, his people experience serious suffering. Over 100,000 Christians die yearly for confessing Christ as Lord, and we ourselves have our own sorrows and our own crosses to bear. Has he forgotten you? Has he left you alone in this world? No. By his Spirit, he pours out gifts into your hearts. By his spirit, he provides you with the strength of faith to stand up under the most unimaginable sufferings. Because it's only by faith that we will stand. It's only by faith that we will stand the attacks of our own flesh, the attacks of the devil, the attacks of the world. It's only by faith that we as society will be able to stand up under increasing attacks on our personal freedoms. We can trust that Christ will preserve his church, that Christ will preserve his own, either by averting all evil or turning it to her benefit, either by preventing persecution or by providing the perseverance to stand up under it. And we can live with the confidence of knowing that the victory has already been won, that Christ has been given this authority for a definite end, It's not in jeopardy. It's not in doubt. The kingdom is coming and the kingdom will come in its fullness. That's without question. That gives us deep comfort and it gives us the right lens with which to look out into this often hostile world. Paul writes to the Philippians Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that Christ has not only left us and ascended to receive that throne of glory, but he will also return. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We might not be inclined to think of this last article of the, Lord, of the Apostles' Creed as a comfort. Sorry, the question answer 52. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. When you think of Christ's return, there have been many in the history of the church who have a very dim view of Christ's return as judge. In the medieval period, it was common to speak of that day as the day of wrath. You might think of famous paintings that portray that event very vividly and her- horrifically. It was a day to be feared, And today, too, there are plenty of frightening images to fill our minds when we think of the end of time. And so we might be tempted to be anxious about the day of Christ's return when our ascended Lord comes back in the same way he left. But the Catechism asks us instead to consider what comfort is it to you? What comfort is it to you that Christ will return as judge to judge the living and the dead? Well, the answer speaks directly to what we've been focusing on this afternoon, the experience of the suffering church of Jesus Christ in this world. Because it's in the middle of the brokenness of life, the believer can look to heaven and anticipate that the judge will leave his throne and will come down to set things right, to bring justice and peace to a broken world. What's so comforting about Christ's return? Well, the coming judge is your Savior. The one who is coming to judge the heavens and the earth is your Savior. The one who will judge the nations is my sympathetic Redeemer and High Priest. That's comforting. My conscience may, con- may accuse me that I've sinned. My sinful nature may cause me to, to view that day with-, with despair or with fear or in- anxiety. But when we see with eyes of faith, that that judge who comes will be our Savior, the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior, descending on the clouds of heaven, then we may find comfort. If Christ loved you enough to leave his place of glory and honor and power at the Father's side, to become like one of us, to suffer and die in your place, then how can we possibly fear his return? The judge is your savior. That's comforting. But it's also comforting to know that our savior is a judge. Because while we know that Christ is already king and we live in his kingdom, we do not always experience his full kingship. The believers in Syria and Iraq may not experience the full kingship of Jesus Christ, may not see the evidence of Christ's justice in this life. Christ does not necessarily remove our oppressors or our oppression. As much as we try, there is no guarantee that we will be successful in maintaining and upholding the Christian principles on which this country was built on. And so we take comfort in knowing that our Savior is also a judge. That our Savior will uphold our cause on the final day when all those who have rejected the crucified body of Christ, who have attacked the church of Christ, will face their judge and give account to what they have done. Those men who stood on the shore over those orange jumpsuited Christians will face their judge on the day of Christ's return then all his and my enemies will be condemned. Justice will be served. And we will be freed from oppression and death, free to enjoy the wonderful riches of eternal glory with our Savior, Jesus Christ. But knowing that our Savior is coming as judge also places a great burden on our hearts. Living here and now as citizens of the kingdom, Because we recognize that we don't deserve the gift. Apart from Christ, you and I are no different than those men in black masks. And so we need to burn with desire too, to see that nobody faces that final judgment without having been held before them the Savior Jesus Christ. Without having held before them the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we need to burn with passion. That the word gets out. That there is hope in this broken world. That there is life in this broken world. That there is escape from the brokenness of this life. And so we submit our lives to Jesus Christ. We submit our lives to working with him and praying to him for the establishing of his kingdom here and now. And we continue to do so until his dominion extends from sea to sea, until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, amen.